0: InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting.
1: Thanks to the marvels of mass production, retail competition, and foreign imports, American shoppers have been getting great bargains for decades. But our next guest says that those bargain prices may be costing us more than we think. She's the author of a new book titled Cheap, the High Cost of Discount Culture. Let's welcome Ellen Shell to InfoTrack. How are you?
0: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, Ellen, your book begins with a look back at history. Famous names like industrialist Henry Ford, retailers like Woolworth and Wanamaker, and they used economies of scale to save all of us money. And I guess the trend continues with Walmart and Target, but where did we go wrong in all this?
0: You mentioned two captains in industry from the turn of the last century, Wanamaker and Woolworth. John Wanamaker was a haberdasher in Philadelphia, who grew himself a department store empire, he invented a few things that made discounting possible. One of them was the price tag. Before we had price tags, and we didn't until about the turn of the last century, you really couldn't have a discount because the prices were not fixed. They might be fixed in the merchant's head, but they weren't fixed on the merchandise. So there was a bargaining that went back and forth. The other thing that Wanamaker invented, and for good reason, was the sale. He did that because he found that his own workers, his own employees, were being laid off after the Christmas rush because there wasn't enough business. And so he found the way to keep them employed was to offer a post-Christmas discount to consumers. Now, at the same time, we have Frank Walworth. He also built his empire around discounting, but for very different reasons. He saw the great profits that could be made from discounting. His workers tended to be women who lived with their families. They couldn't afford to live on their own. And Woolworths kind of scoured the earth for the cheapest stuff possible to sell in his stores. didn't really care so much about quality, and he was quite upfront about that because he felt that the American consumers would really go for the lowest price, no matter the quality. So there's a bit of history there, and... I think that really informs our system today.
1: Where does that leave us today? I mean, it's a world with many different people, many different approaches to business. But if a shopper wants to buy cheap goods, is there something wrong with that?
0: That means, as well said, you've got to have cheap workers to provide cheap goods. And what's happened as a consequence of this is up and down the supply chain there's pressure to keep wages low, benefits low, jobs insecure because these prices have to be as low as possible that's the way now we're getting these very, very low discount prices. We're squeezing all the efficiencies out that we possibly can, and usually squeezing out efficiencies means reducing the workforce and paying less to that workforce. So it depends on who you are, but for many of us in the United States who have a stake as not just consumers, but as workers, this has come back to bite us.
1: Also, if I want to buy very high-quality goods, I can definitely find those, you know, if I want to spend a lot of money. So is this a real restriction on the consumer?
0: Well, why should quality cost a lot of money? Why can't quality cost a moderate amount of money? I think many of us recall a time, or our parents or our grandparents did, when reasonably good quality could be had for a reasonable price. And what the discounting fad has had over the last 30 years is this pressure for volume. To get that volume up as large as possible and increase those efficiencies, it's put many, many stores out of business. The consolidation of, for example, the department store, hardware store industry, is everybody knows about that. Mm-hmm. So what's happened is we have these large discounters, big box stores, that offer cheap goods and questionable quality. It's varies, but... We don't have a lot of choice. And what's happened is the middle part of the market has been squeezed out. So many people complain, look, I'm looking for a reasonably priced sweater, a reasonably priced tool. That's good quality. And they're finding, you know, I can't find that. I find the cheap stuff in the discount stores. And I find that expensive stuff. So what I argue is that we've been told to think if we want quality, that's a luxury. We have stopped expecting quality in many of the things we buy and let me give you just a little bit of a thought experiment what are those extended warranties about we buy some electronics or an appliance and we pay extra at the cash register just to ensure that those products will last beyond a set amount of time maybe 18 months or two years we don't trust those things to last and we'll pay more at the checkout counter because we don't trust these products so that's a real change Certainly from 30 years ago, 25 years ago, our relationship to what we buy has changed drastically. We have much lower expectations of what we buy, and we make much fewer demands, and we will change our behavior to accommodate the products we buy, and that's very, very different from the kind of world that our parents lived in.
1: One thing we haven't touched on is China, and I think a lot of people see China as the source of a lot of cheap goods, and in some cases, unfortunately, uh, dangerous goods could you talk about that a little bit
0: well yeah of course i couldn't do this book without going to china and i did spend some time there because as you said the major source of the cheap goods consumer goods in the united states is china now there are other countries as well that are involved in this sometimes actually the china price is too high and manufacturers will pull up stakes in china and move to vietnam or another even lower wage country but china is a vast place and many parts of China are really outside rule of law. The regulations don't apply. They're out of sight, out of mind. And so even though there are regulations, of course, in China, they are generally not enforced, and many of the suppliers that provide goods for American multinationals or multinationals around the world do not produce goods under any kind of system that we would approve of in the United States. Mm -hmm. And we've come to say, well, that's okay. My question to Americans is, would we be willing to pay just a little bit more to ensure that rule of law is enforced in the developing world.
1: One of the startling statistics in your book is that about 25% of the global workforce is Chinese now. That's startling, and you can certainly understand with the mass size of the population of China and their economies of scale, I guess, why so many of our goods are being manufactured there now.
0: Yes, it's a country of 1.3, and some people think 1.4 billion people. And as a consequence, what the Chinese will work for and what the Chinese will do has an impact on the entire world. So the so-called China price, the price of making Chinese goods, has a big impact on the American worker. If it can be done cheaper in China, that puts pressure on wages and benefits here in the United States. And what's happened here in the United States is since the 1970s, we are paying less for consumer goods, but we're paying much more for things that we absolutely have to have, our fixed costs, mortgage, taxes, health care, education for our kids. In fact, in the 1970s, we paid about half of our income for fixed costs like that. Right now, even though we have working families where both parents work, we're paying about three-quarters of our income in fixed costs. And my argument is the low cost of those consumer goods have had a big impact on our salaries.
1: With all of this bargain-hunting mania that permeates our country, where do you see all this going? Is there a solution?
0: Well, you know, I think it's not going to be a revolution, I don't think, but I think it can be an evolution. And I think we can take steps in a different direction. I don't believe that there necessarily could be some sweeping governmental mandate that could change this. I believe in global trade, and I believe in free trade. So how to make it truly free A way to do that might be to ensure that everything that is sold in the United States is labeled prominently with its country of origin, not just in a sneaky way, which many products are, so it's kind of hard to know, but labeled prominently. Another thing that people have suggested to me is that there be some system whereby different products could be labeled to show how they were made. You know, what are they made of? We don't know what we're buying, so we don't know if it's a good deal.
1: Well, the book is Cheap, The High Cost of Discount Culture. And the author is Ellen Rupel-Shell. And you can check out her website, ellenrupelshell.com. Ellen, we want to thank you for joining us on InfoTrack.
0: Oh, listen, it was a blast. Thank you so much. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks.